gang, uh, we're going to get to the show in just a minute, but we had a breaking news event in the Mac Power users world that we wanted to drop in a quick audio recording and let you know about before the show. Yeah, we're going to be helping Jean McDonald and App Camp for Girls in their latest Indiegogo uh, fundraiser. Yeah, and this Indiegogo fundraiser is live now as we speak. And, you know, we've been longtime supporters of App Camp for Girls, and Gene's been a longtime supporter of Mac Power users. As you may remember, Gene was the first supporter of Mac Power users and came to us. And so we really want to help Gene. App Camp for Girls is a cause that we believe very strongly in. And we know that many members of the Mac Power users community have been great supporters of App Camp as well, uh, both with your time and with your contributions as well. And David and I were thinking, how cool would it be if Mac Power users as a community came together to sponsor an, a team at App Camp for Girls? So we decided, let's make it happen. And Katie and I are in on this. So we have pledged up to $1,000 in matching funds uh, from our pockets. Um, and uh, it's, it, for every Mac Power users listener that puts a contribution in, we're going to match it, like I said, up to $1,000. And we've got some things we need you to do so we can know it was from you. And if everything goes according to plan, we are going to have our very own Mac Power users team at App Camp for Girls this year. Right. So here's how you participate. We'll put a link in the show notes to the App Camp for Girls Indiegogo campaign. It will be running by the time that this show airs and should run through most of the month of June. So you can go to the Indiegogo campaign and donate as you normally would. And then email a copy of your donation receipt. And if you want, feel free to redact any personal information that's on there, but leave the amount and send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. But make sure that the words App Camp 3.0, no quotes, are in the subject line. App Camp 3.0. 3.0. That's going to filter it for us. We're going to keep a running tally. Uh, and then we're going to contribute. We're going to pull out our pocketbooks uh, and match those funds as well. And we want the whole community come together and let's get a team together for app camp. Yeah. And, you know, uh, first of all, I think it's kind of awesome that we have a workflow for managing those emails. We could probably do a show on it. Yeah. Uh, second of all, we, I always talk about how smart our listeners are. They're also super generous and nice. And it really is. Katie and I are just so proud uh, when we hear from from Gene and other people, things that our audience has gone out and done with no instigation from us at all. You guys are awesome. If you can afford it and believe in the cause, please go ahead and make a contribution. And if you let us know, we're going to double your money. So, you know, why not take our money to uh, check it out? Um, like I said, it'll all be in the show notes. Katie's got a great post on, on her website that gives you the ex exact description and instructions. And uh Let's everybody help Gene McDonald and App Camp for Girls. And with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Mac Power Users, Episode 259, Workflows with Krista Mergen. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie, how are you doing? Hey, David, I'm great. How are you? Good. I, I'm so happy to have you here this week, Krista. Thank, thank you and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. I, I've had um, on the list for people, you know, ideal guests on the show for a long time, somebody who does like UI design and the stuff that you do. And uh, when you said, hey, I'll be on the show, I was really happy. And, and so I guess for everybody out there who doesn't know Chris already, um, in addition to being an awesome banjo player and some other things <laughs> we're going to talk about, um, she does user interface design, which is 
an interesting piece of software development that uses an interesting set of tools that I thought would be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, a lot of the stuff you do, uh, Krista, is with Rogue Amoeba, correct? Correct, yeah. I've been In with fact, them for a little over five years. I'm looking right now at the piezo um, you know, interface, which is mm-hmm. on my desk every time I record a Mac Power User Show. And I, I know you had a lot to do with that. I did. Yeah, it's cool because it's got the old... Um, you know, 1970s meters on it, but right. it, it, it's a great interface for, for what it does because it, it shows me that I'm getting recording done on both ends of the recording and, and, and you've got the spinning wheels. And I was like, all that stuff this is the stuff that Krista was probably slaving over to get right. <laughs> it was, yeah, that was back in the days uh, when it was cool to be skeuomorphic. No, yeah. sadly it's not, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good move um, for the most part. Um, to move away from the, the texture, textured and, and sort of real world analogies um, in software. But it was really fun to design Piezo. Um, and everyone says it differently. So it's okay if you say it however you want to say it. Um, even actually, so everyone at Rogamiba works remotely. And um, we didn't realize until a couple months into development that everyone was saying the name differently. Because um, we don't, we, we just communicate via text. So we don't, uh, we don't actually speak out loud to each other all that often. Um, so anyway, that was funny. But yeah, is, piezo there an, is, is there an official pronunciation of piezo? The way I say it is piezo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, well, that is the correct pronunciation then. All right, great. <laughs> well, this is <laughs> this is one I hope, this is one I hope that doesn't get flattened because I just think it seems perfect for. Oh um, yeah, you know, it's just a little simple tool, and it probably is not going to get flattened because it's so. I just think it's so cute. Um, you know, even still, and it's not that offensive. It's not a huge app. Um, also, so it's not like there's just tons and tons of texture everywhere. It's just very simple. It's one window. Um, you have your, your meters at the top, you have your source selector, you have a little um, silver and red record button, and then um, a place to name um, your recording and then a timer and then some settings, um, you know, to tell, to set up, you know, the, the file type and, and where things live and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't think it'll get flattened. I think it'll stay as it is as a, um, a cute holdover from the skeuomorphic days. And, and, you know, another thing you did, and I want to get into this later, but just kind of tease everybody, Audio Hijack had a massive overhaul. And to me, what makes Audio Hijack, the new Audio Hijack, so great is it's so much more accessible to anybody. And I would lay that at your feet because I think that, you know, the new interface is amazing. And just I don't even know how you guys got there because... It never would have occurred to me when you did it, but now that I've seen it, it's one of those like head slapping things. Oh yeah, of course. That's the way this should have been done always. Yes. Um, excellent. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. But, yeah, uh, cool. but before, before we get there, let's, let's wind it back a little bit. I mean, how do you get involved in interface design to begin with? Right. Well, um, so it was actually back in, um, 2007 when the, when the iPhone came out, um, it just suddenly occurred to me that I could design um, for devices. And I'd, I'd been a, um, an Apple nerd for a while and been using Macs for a long time. Um, and I was actually doing um, video compositing and motion graphic design um, and animating stuff just, just simply in, in After Effects um, at an animation studio here in Portland. And it was sort of, it was getting to the point where it's really fun work, um, but I was spending a lot of time at the office and it's the sort of thing when you work in television production and anyone who has, will tell you this, it's just really long hours and it's really fun and it's great, but it's really long hours. And it was sort of like, Oh, I don't know if I want my life, you know, to sort of be like this anymore. Um, and plus I was working a lot on, um, always maxi pad commercials and that sort of wears down on me <laughs> after a while. Yeah. It's like always, um, 
But um, yeah, so the iPhone came out and it was sort of like, oh, there's this entirely new interface. Um, and then just seeing people's reactions to the new sort of interaction um, models with the iPhone, um, I was like, oh, I have some ideas um, on, you know, what I would do if I was designing an app. And then it was like, well, why don't I design apps? That would be amazing. That would be super fun. So it's really the iPhone that got me interested in user interface design in general, because it had never occurred to me, as long as I've been using Macs, it had never occurred to me to design Mac software, like ever. Um, it was just something, I think I just sort of assumed that programmers designed software. Um, in a lot of cases, they do. But um, but yeah, I just never thought that it was something that I, I could do or be... Um, available to me. So then um, in 2008, um, I, I sort of just jumped ship both feet and was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go do this. And um, I was really fortunate. I, um, I got a few early um, good jobs and I worked um, as a contractor with Associated Press and then Rogamiba hired me in 2009. So, um, so I wasn't out there long and then they, um, I just sort of fell in with them and it's, it was, it's been over five and a half years. Now that I've been with them making mostly now Mac software. I mean, we do have a couple of iOS apps, but um, I don't spend much time at all in in, um, in designing for iOS anymore, which is a little unfortunate because it's fun, but, you know. So well, how does so one prepare for a background in, in design? I mean, there was no iOS design before 2007, and you were doing video production before that. What did What did you do to kind of either get in this mindset, or what kind of background prepared you for this? Or did you just totally say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take everything that I've done before and cast it aside and go do something completely new? Well, actually, um, you know, motion graphic design is, is kind of a really good background to have. But I also, um, I forgot to mention, I minored in design in college. And I, I ran my school's film festival, um, but I ended up being, because I was the only one who had taken graphic design classes, I ended up designing all of the materials for that and the website back in, gosh, um, 2003 or, or so. Um, so I was sort of like, oh, I love design. And like, this is actually fun and I can do this. And, um, and so I ended up just taking more and more graphic design classes until I had enough to have a, a fine arts minor with an emphasis in graphic design. So, so I did have a design background. Um, but of course, yeah, like you said, there were no, um, there's no like classes you can take in back in 2007, there were no classes you could take in like iOS design because it was this brand new thing. So it's sort of like a level playing field a little bit. I mean, there are people who were, who had been doing interaction design and had these concepts, um, you know, way better than I did and had been doing it for, um, for years and years. And so, you know, they were, they were better equipped to sort of just jump into it. But, um, but just, you know, spending a lot of time um, with the iPhone and um, going from there and designing like, well, I think it'd be cool if, you know, I did this or, you know, just that sort of thing is sort of designing dream apps um, just for myself and in Photoshop and just sort of like, oh, what if it did that? Um, so, yeah. So that's sort of how, how I came to it. It's always felt to me like the, the Mac uh, software was where people actually paid attention to design. I mean, there were so many apps that use on the PC that felt like they just opened up the basic dialogue builder and just stuck as many boxes and words in there as they needed. Whereas you always felt like on the Mac that somebody, you know, whether or not they had graphic design skills, actually tried to, to make it kind of better. But it felt to me also like the iPhone was like a tipping point where suddenly it became a really big deal. And I was thinking maybe is that because the iPhone was such a different portable device where you controlled the entire pixel? You even created the buttons, you know, prior phones. You never you never drew the buttons on the screen because the buttons were physical. And so suddenly you had the ability to just control the alpha and the omega or whatever they want to say. And um, 
and that really kind of allowed people to really bring their game up. But it, it is really interesting to me. And I bet there's a documentary in this at some level about how all of this stuff evolved so quickly. And just even, you know, now we look at um, design on iPhone apps. And I, I just made a comment on my website this week. You know, I love the Twitter app on the iPhone. I cannot stand it on the iPad. And I don't know why I used to love it on the iPad, but now the design is out of vogue for me and I just can't look at it anymore. And, you know, nothing's changed in the app, but suddenly my opinion of it has changed. So uh, it's, it's just very interesting that all this stuff is just moving so quickly. So you were in at the very beginning. Um, kind of maybe like a, a year into, into iPhone. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of the beginning ish. Um, but I was definitely yeah, just really excited by the new form factor. Um, and yeah, it was just, it's just this brand new opportunity to create, um, to create things for something that was entirely new. And I was so excited about the iPhone just generally as a device. Um, and you know, rightly so. So, um, I just jumped in. It seems to me that, you know, the icon design and the, um, and the user interface design is so critical to success in the app store because, there, there are many great programmers out there and there'll be two apps sitting next to each other that do essentially all the same things under the hood, you know? Uh, but like it's something as simple as a tip calculator. There is a tip calculator that's beautiful and there's one that's not. And that's the difference between success and failure in the app store. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, um, I mean, and of course, um, you know, as, as everyone likes to, to re- reiterate, um, it's not just about the aesthetics of the design. It's, um, it's how it's, how it works, how you, how you organize your, um, your workflow within the app and, and just sort of that attention to detail in, in, in how the user is interacting with your app. But, um, but then, so, you know, you can let it be ugly at first, but then eventually you do have to, um, make it beautiful to make it appealing to people. And I think that that's, that's a huge thing, especially in the app store, because it's, um, just this marketplace. I mean, people are finding, software in a very different way than they, when, than they did even, um, you know, 10 years ago. So, so when you have this marketplace where you can compare, um, you know, sort of products side by side, it's, it's a lot like looking at, um, you know, two can- jars of spaghetti sauce on, on a grocery store shelf, like which packaging is more appealing to you. So there is a lot of that. Um, you know, obviously it's still important to, um, have the, the fundamental functionality, um, work, the best that it can and in the best way possible first. But, um, but yeah, it's a big deal and it can totally make or break an app. I think. Well, maybe a good way to kind of dig into this a little bit further is to talk some about the tools that you use and kind of the setup of, and that allows to kind of dig into how, how some of that's changed over the years. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, people always like to know what's your setup, you know, are you, or do you, obviously my guess is even though you're designing some for iOS, but some for Mac OS, you're doing that primarily on a Mac, I would imagine. I do. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And I, I haven't used a, a PC in, in years and I'm really grateful. About that. Um, so, so yeah, well, it depends. Um, so this, so sort of the flow, let's say if I'm designing an app um, from the ground up working with developers. So what we usually do is um, at Rogue Amoeba anyway, we, we start in Omni Outliner, um, just planning and setting the scope for the, for the application. Um, and we, we do that for a while and talk through our, our features and sort of what's going to be in, in version one and that sort of thing. And of course, all of that will change as we go along. But um, I actually, after that, um, to start wireframing, I've used a lot of different like wireframing apps and stuff. And so it's kind of silly, but what I actually use is a small portable whiteboard and like dry erase markers hey, and my iPhone camera. Be going analog. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's what I start with for wireframes. And, um, and so, so everyone at, at Rogue Amoeba works remotely. Um, so it's not like we have these in-person meetings where I'm drawing on a whiteboard. So I think that that's sort of a step that's missing. And so that's why I tend to, to use my, my whiteboard at home. And, um, and I just start sketching up, um, you know, basic wireframes. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is what this should look like. And here's where these buttons should be. And this is how you should be able to do this. Um, so I'll start, um, by do, like drawing that out on my little mini whiteboard. And then I take a picture of it with my phone and, and send it, um, to them. And, um, hey, can I, can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. Just, um, Cause I know some people out there are going to say white, uh, wireframing. What's that? Just oh, okay. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, sure. So a wireframe is a very stripped down, um, just an outline, like the bare bones of, of what an application um, would look like. So it's just like an, instead of a, of a, you know, a nice looking button with a shaded gradient or whatever, or an, or a glyph on it, it would just be like a square box that I drew with a, a black dry erase marker. And then um, sort of like, well, so, so for example, like with piezo, if I was drawing that, it would just be like, here's a, here's a large rectangle and in it at the top, there are two rectangles that represent the, um, the meters. Then there's a, a rectangle, um, which will be the source selector. Here's a circle, which is like the record button below that here, are a couple of rectangles for like a text field and one for this timer counter. And then maybe here's a button for settings. And we don't know what that will look like exactly yet, but we sort of get, start to get the flow of sort of what's important in the hierarchy um, of the interface. And, and, and so sort of like what comes at the top and right and, and sort of um, it gets less important as you, as you look downward um, at the application. So, so a wireframe is just that, just sort of um, an organizational way to just draw out um, very, very simply. Um, it's like it's like stick figures um, for an application. And, and the uh, interesting thing at this point is you're not worried about making it pretty. You oh, know, no, what, no. What's the primary focus at this point? Well, the primary focus is um, is the flow and how people are going to actually get their work done. And so we just have to focus on like, how are people really going to use this? Um, what are they going to be doing when they're looking at this view in particular of the app? And so what's the most important thing to focus on, to highlight, um, how do we make it really easy and with the fewest clicks to accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish, whatever the task happens to be, um, in this particular view. Um, and, so that's what and, we really focus on. Yeah. About. And like, for instance, like when I use piezo every week, um, I set the source, I, I name the recording because it's a podcast. You know, I usually give it like this is MPU 259. And that just happens naturally with the way the app is laid out. And then I push the, the red button, which, and that's because you guys sweated over that at <laughs> some point, right? I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, are, there are different um, configurations of that in the, in the very beginning, you know, sort of like the meters were, were at the bottom for a really long time. Um, and then, and, and it was sort of, it was partially, um, like putting them at the top just so you could always quickly at a glance um, see what's sort of going on and, and sort of make that the focus once the recording is happening. Um, but also it was from um, looking at analog machines um, that have that have meters and going, like, oh, you know, they always put them at the top and, you know, we want to make it sort of cute and have this retro feel. So it was sort of um, that decision was actually kind of a two-pronged decision based on um, sort of importance, but also um, relating it to the real world device, which we don't do anymore. And I'll talk later about audio hijack and how we actually wanted to get away from analog devices um, as much as possible when we were designing that. Um, so yeah, they're sort of opposite ends of the spectrum there, piezo and audio hijack. Uh, but yeah, so wireframes, then I, I send them off and then I actually start mocking things up um, at a really early stage in Photoshop. Um, before, like before things are like really nailed down, we just sort of like, we go through a few iterations of these like white frame, um, or sorry, whiteboard wireframes. 
And then, uh, and then I just jump into Photoshop and I start, um, like being like, Oh, like here's where the meters are going to be. Here's where the source selector is going to be. And it's really ugly at first. Um, because I just sort of like Frankenstein together, different colors and textures without really caring. Cause I'm just sort of like trying to get things like rough things into place. And I know that things are going to change. Um, so we just, we just really, um, continue to focus on, on the flow and the interaction and like where, what's going to be where, um, and what, what sort of reaction do you get? Like when you push this button and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, and so, so yeah, so then I just do tons and tons and tons of, um, of mockups in Photoshop <laughs> is, now, is what happens next. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Forgive me for someone who has very little artistic, uh, background or talent for that matter. How, how do you, how do you turn your, your wireframes, which I, I understand are just, you know, hand sketches on a whiteboard into something in Photoshop? I mean, do you, are, are these just, do you take pictures of your wireframes and then start moving around in Photoshop or are you freehand drawing oh, elements yeah. in Photoshop? Or do you have like stock images that you pull into Photoshop to give an idea of, okay, well, this is something that this might, because Photoshop is, is in my understanding and use, and, and I use it, you know, very basic way, not really a, a drawing tool. I mean, so how do you start drawing and, and getting elements into Photoshop to start laying them out? So I don't, um, I don't use the actual pictures of the wireframes. That's just sort of like, this is the sketch of what's going to be where. And then, so I, when I jump into Photoshop, um, I create the document, you know, roughly the size that I think, um, the window should be ideally like at its, at its like, you know, m most Mac applications, you can resize the windows PA, so you actually can't. Um, but that's not true of most, most windows. So I, I just design sort of like what I would like the default window size to be. And then I just start, um, you know, drawing my rectangles, snapping to a pixel grid, um, and sort of arranging them that way. Um, so I just use the, um, you know, shape, shape tools and pen tool and stuff like that to start drawing in Photoshop. And then when I actually, when I draw the, um, this comes later, but when I draw glyphs and, and little things like that, like, um, you know, the, the little clock icon for schedule, sort of that sort of thing, I actually do that over in Illustrator, another Adobe product, um, which is just, I just like the way that the pen tool works better. So, but all of this, so, so far, all of this workflow, I'm trying to replace it all with, um, with sketch by Bohemian coding. Um, so it's this Mac app that is for user interface designers and it's just, it's very hard. Like I haven't done a full project with it yet. So I'm not really, it's not really part of my workflow yet, but I, this is my goal because it's really designed for user interface designers and has a lot of really great features like reusable elements and being able to style text, which you would think you'd be able to do in Photoshop, but you have to go through and like reset all of your, um, all of your text. Like if you change, you know, like everything from, from 11 point to 13 point, you have to go through and, and actually click on everything in your, um, in your mockup and, and change it all there. So, um, so sketch, makes things like that really easy and I'm really excited about it. Um, but it's sort of like, it's a lot less expensive. It's 99 bucks. It is. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and so it's great. And I think they're, um, they've really got a great product there and in a great, just sort of segment of like niche of the, of the designer market because Photoshop is amazing. I've been using it, you know, for over 10 years and, um, and I use it, you know, almost, every, well, yeah, I do use it every day. Um, you know, for, for my day-to-day -day work stuff, but it's, yeah, it's not really um, designed for user interface designers, and it, it's just such a versatile um, application that you can you can do that, and 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 it's great for that. But it's not ideal, and so Sketch really has the the designer, the UI designer in mind um, with with their application, and it's really cool. So, but it's really hard to when you have this sort of like legacy workflow. And so, I'll talk more about like my GUI PSDs as a you know like my um, my user interface PSDs that I create when I'm making assets. 
Um, it's hard to jump from that workflow into a brand new one. And it just sort of, it's because I can do things so quickly in Photoshop and with sketch, it's sort of like, Oh, I have to invest this time to learn this new thing. Um, but it's, I think it's totally worth it. It's, it's something I'll be doing in the next few months for sure. Um, more and more, I've just played with it so far, but it's, it's already like, Oh, this is so cool. And you know, why didn't I, why haven't I been using this all along? But at the same time, you know, I have, um, I have these PSDs that I'm still working in that are, um, like once, so once we, we get through a ton of mockups and, um, and the developers at the same time have been working on the back end, but they're ready to start implementing some of these, these elements, I start giving them assets. And when I give them assets, I take, um, I take everything from my mockup and then I, um, I put all of the controls and everything into a new, um, into a new, um, Photoshop document. And that has, um, it's just sort of like all of the buttons all laid out next to each other, basically, and organized by type. And so sort of then I can make sure that all of the styles match and um, and I have all of the like upstate, downstate, disabled states, like everything like that. Um, I have that all organized in these like specific GUI PSDs that are not the same as my mock-up PSDs. And then I can just um, assets out from there. And I actually use another app to do that. So, so Photoshop now um, has built-in tools that make it easier to save out, you know, your 1x and 2x um, ping elements that the developers will need for, you know, retina and non-retina versions of their applications. But they, um, they didn't in previous versions. And so I started using this application that used to be called Layer Cake, and now it's called Slicey by, um, by MacRabbit. And it just let you just um, name all of your Photoshop layers appropriately. Um, and it will, and then you just drop your Photoshop document onto um, a little window in Slicey and it will save out all of your 1x and 2x elements. So you can either make just 1x elements if you're, so all of my, um, all of my elements in Photoshop are, are resizable, like shape, um, you know, vector-based shapes. So, um, so Slicey can um, scale them up and scale them down and it scales the, like if I have a, um, a two pixel drop shadow at two X and it'll make it, you know, a one pixel drop shadow at one X, um, that sort of thing for me. So if I just label everything properly, I can drop it on this Lacey and, uh, it saves out all those elements, but, um, it looks like sketch will make that, um, even easier. Sorry, Slicey. It's a great tool if you're still using Photoshop and, um, and as an, as an interface designer. So, um, so that's I, I another, talk about another that thing. For, yeah, go for, ahead. For, for just a second, the, you know, the transition, so you've got a traditional app you've been using a long time. You were trained. I mean, I'm sure you used Photoshop when you were going through school. So it's like, it's almost like you could do it in your sleep, you know, rent Photoshop. And then, you know, there's a superior app out and you know, forget the price for a minute. It is a lot cheaper, but forget that. Just the fact that, you know, it's better. It's, I guess it's instead of a jack of all trades, it's a master of the one that you're doing, which is creating user interface design. Uh, but then you've got this this resistance, and it sounds to me like there's two pieces to it. And this is something I think a lot of people face, no matter what they do with software. It's um, you've got the resistance that is, I need to learn something new when I'm I'm really good at something old. Um, and then there's the second resistance is, you've got this legacy data files. I mean, I suspect you've made a lot of icons that that you can reuse or modify, and, and they're all in PSD or Photoshop format. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I have this massive catalog of stuff I've built over my whole career. And if I jump, do I get to use that stuff anymore? And I get, I guess that's one going to sketch allow you to, to import the Photoshop stuff or is um, well, is so like you're... <clears throat> vector, um, vector shapes and stuff so far. Um, they seem, yeah, they seem okay. And the pen tool and sketchy and sketch so far seems to, to work well and in a way that, um, I expect. So, um, it's kind of like a, a cross between Photoshop and Illustrator um, in how the pen tool works, which is cool. 
Um, well, but yeah, I, I so that, that, that is a big people. concern um, for sure. And it's like, yeah, I want to be able to use all of these because I totally have like glyphs that go back, um, you know, to 2008 that I'm still, you know, like here's my little microphone glyph or like here's my arrow glyph or, you know, whatever. And um, or yeah, like my little uh, my little gear, the one that's in piezo, it's just styled. It has like a little bit of chroma because it's supposed to look like metal. But, um, you know, that's, you know, a gear that I've used um, in, in a number of products. So. So yeah, it's, it's hard to, to have all of these things and then try to transfer over. Um, but it's, it's, I, you know, it's something that I need to do eventually. And I think it'll just sort of be the sort of thing where I, the next project I do will be designed primarily in sketch, but it will be fully, like I'll have, um, a lot of supporting materials that I'll, I'll still be using Photoshop a lot basically. Um, but not as the primary tool, hopefully this is my goal anyway. Well, and I think that's a very rational way to do it because I, I'm not that rational. When I see something new and shiny, I get obsessed with it and, and I want to jump into it. So I'll, I'll move everything into it and then I'll find out that like the developer wasn't really that reliable and suddenly the app's not around anymore. I mean, I've got bit so many times because I can't help myself and I'm always jumping into whatever's new. But, but I think for a lot of people out there working, this is a really big challenge because you know that there's a better tool and it seems like, yeah, I should be doing that. But at the same time, you know, my, my primary goal is to get my work done, get paid and go home and, you know, do whatever I like to do when I go home. And, and a lot of times switching to a better tool is going to actually get in the way of that. It's going to take a lot more time and, and, you know, resources. So right. yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I hear um, George R. R. Martin still uses like WordStar in like an emulator or something to write a, a song of ice and fire. The, what Game of Thrones is based on. Yeah. Anyway, that, that probably explains why it's taken them. That probably <laughs> explains why it's taken them so years. long. And the <laughs> TV show is actually outstripping and, it. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where you just don't adapt fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have had lawyers send me recently documents written in WordPerfect for DOS. And I, I don't know. It's, it's completely nuts. I called the guy and he was really proud of it. And I said, well, what machine are you running on that? And if it's connected to the internet, you're probably, uh, you're probably getting hacked, but the, uh, um, yeah, it's interesting, but you know, and, and it's also interesting to me that there is actually custom software. What you're doing has become such a thing mm-hmm. that now people are developing professional software just for right. user interface design. Yeah. Cause that never would have happened you know, yeah. before the iPhone. Right. Um, yeah. So it's exciting. Um, and for, so there's a, um, a tool called hype, which is more, it's more geared for like, um, web design as far as I can tell. Um, and it's for like doing, um, simple like animation using CSS three transitions and stuff like that. But so I'm waiting for, like I played with it, but a while ago, so I probably, um, am misrepresenting it and should give it another shot because I, I played with it at like version two or something. Um, so, but it's for like motion design, but, but that's becoming more and more important in interaction design. So it's sort of like, Oh, cool. Another, um, another, you know, I didn't waste my time getting that film degree sort of, but, uh, you know, um, because I do mock up, you know, animations, like when you click this button, this is the thing that should happen, you know, more or less, because again, like we're not there in person. Um, when you're animating, you you use a lot of like hand signals, like, like, Oh, it should be like this. And, And I'm like, blinking my my hands like shaking my hands back and forth a little bit um as sort of like the the feedback that the user gets so um so i actually do that in after effects which is totally the wrong program to use but it's sort of like again it's what i know um i can do it really quickly i can work i can work in it really fast um 
And, um, so yeah, I do little, like when I have to do that, I just muck up little, little bits of, um, a video to show a developer like, Oh, it should be like this. So I'll, um, I'll weigh in on hype <laughs> because I do, um, I make eBooks and um, oh, cool. hype uh, allows you, you know, cause uh, iBooks author puts H you can import HTML into it. So I've been using hype since version one and I've actually used it to build some of the animations in my books and it's amazing. And, uh, the, cause I, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite and I'm not a um, old timey, um, web developer guy. So, uh, I never learned flash. So this right. was great, you know, and this is really <laughs> the idea of hype is people were saying, well, flash is going away and you can't use it on mobile. So we need really powerful HTML animation. Uh, hype is developed by a couple former Apple guys who said, Hey, we could do that. And they've been very successful. And I, yeah, I would recommend that to anybody out there who wants to add animation to a website or a book or an app or whatever, it's, it's actually pretty easy to use too. They, they do a great job. They have video tutorials and everything on their website. Okay. All right. So I'll, I'll get in. I'll get Yeah. It. Check it out. <laughs> and they just came it. out yeah, version three seen, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'd seen that, but, um, but yeah, I hadn't tried it yet. So, okay. I will, yeah. I'll, I'll try it again. Cause it would be, um, yeah, it'd be great to, so, so a lot of designers use Quartz Composer to, um, to do sort of like interaction animation and then show that to developers because there is, you can actually create interactivity, which is great. I just don't like using Quartz Composer. Um, so I don't know. I get, I think that I'm just sort of, I'm like into my, my legacy stuff that doesn't work exactly how it should. Um, but I'm trying to change. I will, I will eventually. Well, um, having, having used both hype and Quartz Composer, Hype is a lot easier to use. Yeah, it looks, right I mean, it looks it just, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, if, a couple other things, um, just, I, I use, if I'm, if I am doing HTML and CSS, um, and a tiny bit of JavaScript, uh, then I, I use Coda by Panic, of course, which is, um, fantastic. I also use this little app called, um, Icon Slate, which, um, I just want to talk about because I don't know if, if people know about it. Um, Icon Slate just lets you, um, make like for, for Mac, um, application icons. There are tons of, you know, different file sizes and stuff. Um, icon slate makes it really easy to just, um, get, make sure you have all of the right sizes for your icons. Um, you can save sort of your, your icon documents. You can, you can save them in different formats and it will automatically suggest like all of the different sizes that you need, um, for various types of icons, um, not just for Mac. So, so that's really cool. That's another, just like a little design tool that I use, um, from day to day. Now, so, how much yeah. of your work is icon design? Um, you know, not, not a ton of it, um, as far as like the, because the icon only needs to be done once, you know, I, I mean, ideally for, for an application, um, but it's a big deal and we spend, um, you know, like at least two weeks designing, um, the icon and it goes through, um, a very similar process as designing the app. It's like, it starts with sketches and like me drawing with a pencil and a little sketchbook, um, and then, you know, sending pictures like, well, what if it looked like this? And so so for example, for audio hijack, um, the icon we ended up with is, um, like this jar of glowing orange ether. And then on the jar, it, it has like a, a cork, um, top in it. And then on the, on the label is, is like a, um, spectrometer, like an audio spectrometer. So it's, you know, supposed to highlight, um, capturing audio is the concept it's supposed to communicate. But so I had some different ideas for that. Like, um, there was like a sound wave being caught in a net. Um, and originally the, the jar, um, was like the stuff in it was green. Um, but also it, it actually had like a sound wave in it instead of, um, just like this glowing ether stuff. Um, so it sort of, it evolves over time. Um, but it, it, we don't spend too much time per, per, um, per icon, but it is really nice to then, cause you need, you know, a million sizes and you need one X and two X and 
Um, so it's really nice to have this application where you can just um, sort of organize all of your different um, sizes and then just save it out into the, the proper formats. Um, we also make one um, Windows application. We make Airfoil for Windows. So it's nice to, because I don't know, you know, I'm not used to working on Windows software and I don't know what the um, format requirements are for Windows icon, but fortunately I can just um, check a box like, yes, I want to have a, a Windows icon too. It will, um, you know, ask me for any other sizes of the icon. I can re when you, when you make sort of small versions of your icon, you, you sort of have to strip down details and redraw it a little bit as you're, as you're making the smaller ones, especially things that like 16 by 16 and 32 by 32 pixels. Um, so sort of like if I need to redraw anything, I do that and I drop it in there and then I save it out, um, into different, into different formats for icons. You know, I just realized we've been going like 30 minutes and I, I want to talk to you about your hardware. I mean, what kind of hardware do you need to, to do this job? But before we do so, we should probably take a break and talk about our exclusive sponsor today. Yeah, our exclusive sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at Smile. And I want to talk a little bit about PDF Pen Pro. Uh, PDF Pen Pro is one of my favorite and probably one of my most used applications on the Mac. Uh, it is the advanced version of PDF Pen, which is the ultimate all-purpose PDF editor from Smile. Uh, PDF Pen Pro does everything that PDF Pen does, but it also adds some great features as well. So if you are a power PDF user, you definitely want to take a look at PDF Pen Pro. Uh, PDF Pen Pro will allow you to take a PDF, add signatures, edit text and image, perform or OCR on ScanDocs. Uh, you can even export your uh, PDFs into Microsoft Word into Microsoft Excel in PowerPoint format or into the PDF archive format, which is that newer PDF A format. Um, PDF can do all kinds of things for you. Like if you've got a PDF that you want to create in an interactive text form, you can do that with PDF Pen Pro. I use this feature all the time to take uh, forms that I uh, to documents that I use, turn them into forms, and then I can send them off to people instead of getting, you know, chicken scratch back. Maybe they'll actually type in the PDF forms and send them back to me so I can read them. Uh, PDF Pen Pro will OCR all of your scan documents. And with the new version, version seven, you can actually interact with that OCR scan text. You can make corrections. You can redact or erase text because once text is OCR, you can now become searchable. So you can search for items in your, in your document. You can even search and redact or replace text if you want to. Uh, you can make interactive PDF forms. So with PDF Pen Pro, if you want to create an interactive form, uh, create an interactive table of contents, you can do that with PDF Pen Pro. And you can uh, edit the document permissions. So if you want to send a PDF to someone, but you maybe you don't want them to be able to save over it, maybe you don't want them to be able to print that, you can do all of that and more. Uh, another cool feature that you may want to check out with PDF Pen Pro uh, is you can save web pages. You can save either a single web page or you can pull down an entire site uh, and save it as a PDF and it will keep those clickable hyperlink intact. Uh, so you want to check out the brand new PDF Pen Pro version 7. It does require Yosemite. It is optimized for Yosemite. It's got a great user interface, uh, and it just looks gorgeous running on Yosemite. So you can find out more, including downloading a free trial over at Smile's website at smilesoftware.com slash MPU. That slash MPU will let them know uh, that we sent you. And this uh, Max Sparky guy did some videos for them. So you may want to check out uh, the Max Sparky videos over on the Smile site. Uh, and thanks to Smile for their support of Mac Power users. Katie, did you see that the newest version of PDF Pen, they added de-skewing when you OCR? I love the de-skewing feature, yes. Yeah, so now when you OCR, it just straightens the page and then does the OCR. It's great. Anyway, um, let's talk about hardware because, you know, we can't help ourselves around here. <laughs> 
I mean, uh, so what, what types of hardware, if you wanted to get into this, what type sure. of hardware would you need? Okay. Um, well, well, actually, no, I've just really stripped down. Um, I used to use um, a, a separate monitor, a Dell Ultra Sharp um, monitor. But now, you know, um, the last couple of years, I've just been using um, a laptop and I have a, um, a MacBook Pro, a Retina 13 inch, um, like a late 2013 um, laptop that's like a, a 2.6 um Intel Core i5, you know, whatever. Um, and just like the, the, the standard, like middle, middle grade, um, retina MacBook. And it's great. And it's, it's like, I don't really even need that, um, that separate monitor anymore. The screen is so sharp and, and lovely. I do kind of miss the, um, the lightness of the MacBook Air. And, um, yeah, I was really excited when those like new little gold, um, MacBooks came out, but, um, you know, I'm sticking, I'm sticking with this for now. Um, so that's, really, that's like, switch of, much. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, that switch of being able to ditch the second monitor happened yeah. when, when retina happened. Um, yes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much when I, I stopped using, cause the, the screen is just so much sharp, like sharper and just nicer. Um, than, and I just, yeah, I just don't really need to have that, that second monitor. I also like to move around a lot. So I work from home. Um, I have a treadmill desk set up that I created myself, which awesome. is, um, yeah, it's, it's sweet. It's this, um, this treadmill that I got on Amazon, but it has controls on the arms. So you can turn it on and change your speed and whatnot on the arms without looking at the screen. And then I got this um, drop leaf table from Ikea that like sort of folds down flat against the wall and sort of mounted it at the, at the right height against the wall. And I have a standard um, laptop stand. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's what I use. And so I don't really need um, to have a separate monitor on there. I just put my laptop um, up on the stand. So it's at the right height. And, um, I spend about half my day working on the treadmill desk and then I'll either, um, work at the table or I'll like go to a coffee shop and work there for, for half the day. But I get at least four hours of walking in on my treadmill desk and I really like it. Um, that's awesome. So, if you'll, if yeah. you'll send us the links to the treadmill and the Ikea desk, oh, sure. so people yeah, can create their own. We'll, yeah. we'll throw those in the show notes that people love that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. It's, it was super fun. I was like, and so what's really great is we have a small house and our, um, my office is also the guest room and the TV room. So like we have, um, we have a nice, like it's actually a comfortable pullout couch, um, that to sleep on. It doesn't have like the bar in the middle or anything. It's just like this nice pullout couch. So that's our, that's our couch that we want you to be on, but it's also the guest bed. And then, um, my treadmill desk is in here, but what's really awesome is, um, is it's a folding treadmill. So the treadmill folds up and the, um, table folds flat against the wall. So, um, so when we have guests, like I can just put away my desk basically. Um, it's really cool. And I was really excited to geek out on that. Like, Oh, I can make this transformable desk. So I can even send you a picture of that setup if you want. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. It's it's fun. We we have a remarkable number of listeners and guests that do treadmill desks. I mean, it's like it's like a running thing on our show. So, a couple of questions on that. Did you is your treadmill at an incline or is it flat? It is not. Um, be- yeah, I can put it on an incline, but um, when I've done that in the past, it started to hurt my lower back um, after a few hours. So I was like, oh, I'll be like working on my my calf muscles more if I do this. But yeah, and it was starting to hurt my lower back. Um, I don't know if it was just like. Yeah, just a funky angle from where my computer was, and then having the um, the treadmill inclined was just weird. So, um, so I, I had just have it flat, um, but it's fine. I walk walk at about two miles an hour, maybe a little faster than that. Depends on the day and how I'm feeling. But um, but it's really nice. I find it really helps me think, actually, especially like if I'm planning. Like, it helps me to sort of like turn the speed up a little bit and sort of like almost walk through things. I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really nice though. I, I'm weird like that too. Like back when I had an office, I would, I had a desk that I could walk around like a circle around it. 
And I would have to get like new socks like every month because I would take my shoes off at work and I would wear my socks out walking around the desk when I'm on the phone or dictating onto a recorder. And, and now I'm working from home. And now this is actually something that's a problem for me is I actually need to walk to think about things to such an extent that sometimes I'll just go outside and just take a walk to kind of work through an issue. Mm -hmm. But, but, um, I haven't got it all sorted out yet. I may be joining the treadmill desk club at some point. So I'm always interested in hearing. And and the one thing I've noticed that everybody that's doing it successfully, uh, very few of them have the desk at an incline, you know, so you're not walking uphill for three hours. Right. Yeah. You know, um, because I guess that would probably start to get tired and, and be hard to interfere with focus. But, yeah, let us know, uh, Mac Power users, listeners, about your treadmill desks. Well, we can put it in the live show, and um, and I this is my own uh, personal research project. <laughs> but the um, but yeah, it doesn't cost that much money to do it yourself, really, either. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're making one, I mean, they they sell. Um, I mean, there are there are plenty on the market that are um, just like off the shelf solutions, and they're they're really cool and and um, they look. I mean, they look really cool and, and well designed and stuff. But it's sort of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to really like this. It's sort of hard to make that investment if you haven't used a treadmill desk before. And so when I was making mine, I was like, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to do this for very long, if it's really going to work for me. And it, and it did. But so my um, my setup that I made, I did it back in uh, 2013, maybe the beginning of 2013 um, is when I started using my treadmill desk. And um, and yeah, it's been great. I, um, I just recently broke the uh, belt on my treadmill when I was doing a Fitbit challenge with a bunch of people. And, uh, and I actually broke the belt on my treadmill. So I've replaced that. Um, but so far, no other problems. Well, you wore it out. I did. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, have the, um, so, uh, so does it interfere with your ability to focus at all? I mean, is it? No. Yeah. It actually helps me. Like I said, in general, it really helps me to be able to focus and I slow it down or speed it up depending on sort of my mood and, and what I'm doing. If I'm, um, if I'm writing or, or planning, then I can speed it up and walk faster and sort of like that helps me think. But if I'm designing, um, I can't walk too quickly because um, sort of I need more hand. I don't know, like I need I need more control of my hands, I think, when I'm designing. Um, and also it starts to shake a little bit if it, if you walk too fast. So like around, so when I'm designing um, and doing purely visual work, then, then I'm going probably about um, two or 2.2 miles per hour. So, so it's like the Starship Enterprise at like warp nine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like when I really need to think, I'll just crank it up. Um, now, so, but, but that, you know, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking the work you do is like pixel perfect. You have to get pixels in the exact right spot and you're doing that while you're walking. That's kind of remarkable. Yeah. It's not really um, a, as big a deal as you would think. Um, and it's not hard. Of course, I think it just depends on the person. Like my husband, Nevin tried it and he's like, this is awful. Like, how do you do this? The screen is shaking. I'm like, no, no, it isn't. You walk too hard. Like, uh, I don't know. It just, it's fine for me, but yeah, it does start to shake if you go too quickly. Um, but otherwise, no, it's been, it's been totally fine. And I always, um, you know, I, I use a pixel grid and, and snap my shapes to a pixel grid typically, um, unless I'm doing sort of something with a lot of rounded edges. But, um, so I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't phase me at all. It's been fine for the last uh, two years. So, yeah. Speaking of the, the hardware that you're using and having to be very precise, are you using any kind of, um, I, I don't ever know if it's Wacom or Wacom, but, you know, any kind of tablet or um anything for drawing or any kind of specialized mouse or just the standard uh, trackpad on the MacBook or how, how do you get so specialized when you're, when you're doing this intricate design work? Well, I used to use um, the Wacom bamboo um, and it's pen. And then 
um, I lost the pen for it and was like, oh, well, I'll have to order a new one because, you, you know, like the pen is as much as a new thing. It's like, oh, they have a new version. But then um, I got it and I don't like it. And so I just, I stopped using it. So I don't use the Wacom anymore. And I just use, um, I just use a magic mouse and, um, and that's it. And, you know, it's been fine. Um, I also use um, some specialized hardware, a uh, Ticonderoga number two pencil and uh, field notes notebook. Um, like when I'm sketching ideas. So, uh, um, those are my, my, my hardware, but yeah, no, I, I don't, um, I don't use a Wacom anymore, which is kind of too bad because I really loved the bamboo that I had. Um, and it was like a circa 2010, um, bamboo. So maybe I can go online and like find an older version of it, but honestly, I haven't missed it. Um, so it hasn't been a big deal, um, switching over from the Wacom, um, to just using a mouse. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of wish that I had that Wacom back, but also I don't miss it. And then do you use a, for normal computing, you just use a trackpad for that or do you use a mouse? Um, the mouse. Yeah. I don't, I don't even use, um, so I, I use the, the mouse that sort of like has, um, the trackpad and then I use the keyboard a lot. Um, I navigate mostly with the, with the keyboard and the, and the mouse. So. Wow. I'm kind of surprised that you I know. use the, uh, the, <laughs> the magic, magic, the magic mouse. Cause yeah. pe- people tend to either love that mouse or, or, hate, or hate that mouse. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and people love the magic trackpad. My husband uses the magic trackpad and, um, I tried it and I just can't really get into it. Um, if I'm working, so it depends. So at my treadmill desk, I'm using the mouse and, um, and keyboard and navigating mostly with the keyboard. And I'm one of those goofballs. I have a wired keyboard because I like a full keyboard with, um, with the numbers at the right. And it's, um, and it's kind of silly. It's just because there are a couple short key shortcuts that, um, that I like to use and I need the full width keyboard for it. Um, so I use that. And then, um, but if I go to a coffee shop, I use the trackpad and I don't bring a mouse. Um, I just use the trackpad and my computer. I think it's just sort of like I have, evolved my it's not an ideal workflow but it's sort of just like what i can do and um the trackpad is is really responsive and, and especially with like all, all the the gesturing and stuff like that it's i don't know i just go really fast um with the with the keyboard or with the trackpad and mouse um yeah if you if you like the feel of the apple wired keyboard but you want something wireless uh check out the logitech k750 that was that was my happy <laughs> compromise. Okay, the um, K seven fifty. Yeah, it's a it's a wireless, but it it uses that Logitech IR receiver. So if you happen to have another Logitech product, you can sync multiple up. But it's got the same it's got the same feel as that Apple keyboard, but it also has a keypad. And that was my big thing is uh, I liked the feel of the Apple keyboards, but I I can't live without my keypad. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing with that has always been because I, I like the idea of a, a, a having a keypad on my keyboard and I would find use for it. But I don't like having to take my hand so far to the right to get to a mouse or to a trackpad. And I don't want to do it with my left hand. So every time I've experimented with it, I, I found that really just using the, the, the keyboard without the, the number pad is more convenient for me because I do a lot more of moving my hand over to the trackpad than needing the keypad. That That's a. It's, you know, it's interesting how everybody's got their own take on that stuff. Yeah. And when I work at a coffee shop, it's sort of like my, my work, my workflow changes and it's sort of like this condensed, but it's actually fine. Like, I don't know. I feel like I can, I can be just as efficient, um, you know, whatever I'm, whatever I happen to be using or not using. Well, and something to get across for people that are, are at home listening that haven't done interface design is 
you're using, you know, really blown up versions of this artwork when you work on it. It's not like you have you have to land on an individual pixel. It's actually a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And I zoom, I'm zooms like way in for, for the most part. I, I usually have two um, views up. Like I have a, a view that's zoomed out to 100 um, percent. And then I have like a super, you know, zoomed up to like 800 percent. So I can see the individual pixel, pixels and making sure that my, um, you know, my points are, are snapping to the pixels and then working with the um, with the. Um, Bezier curves that way. Um, so yeah, I always have, you know, two, two windows in, in Photoshop, like two views of the same thing. Speaking about, you know, working at home on your treadmill desk versus at home at your table versus in the coffee shop. You know, one of the things that I want to talk a little bit about is you are a remote worker. You don't actually go to an office and, you know, interact with people, you know, whether it be in an office setting or, you know, one of those cubicle farms or, or things like that. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about working in a remote setting and particularly the challenges when you're doing design work, because so much of that is bouncing ideas off of people. What do you think about this? Oh, a little to the left, a little to the right, maybe, you know, how talk a little bit about how that process of, of working remotely works for you. Okay. Well, it's, um, gotten so much easier since we started using Slack. Slack is amazing. Um, use it every day, all day. And, um, it's really searchable. It's nice to be able to talk about, um, you know, different topics. So we have, um, you know, a number of different apps that, that I'm always working on. So, so it's sort of nice to confine the conversation to one or another and just be able to drop in a, um, I'm up and be like, well, what do you think of this? Or, you know, um, like have a private message with someone like here. Um, I, I made those elements that you needed. Um, they're updated. They're in, they're in Dropbox. Um, so Dropbox is another thing. So what we used to do, um, it was all on IRC. Like we just talked to each other on IRC and via these long email chains. And then I would, um, if in IRC, I would either send just the Dropbox link so they could just look at something real quick and then chat about it. Or, um, or I would email them images um, and so now with Slack, we just, I just drop them in, um, and it's really easy to just look back. Um, you can just click on like all of the recent files and just sort of look back and see, um, how the, how the mocks have progressed and, and sort of, you can go back and be like, oh, well, I liked what you did here when you had the button, you know, in the, in the lower right or whatever. Um, but I think that it should also have this thing over here for mock number three. Um, so it's, it's easier to talk about, um, the work now, um, in Slack, Slack has changed, um, a lot of, of how we, how we interact. So that's really helpful, but we never, we don't have phone calls. We don't have, um, we don't do AV chats. Like we are hundred percent text. And so, um, the only time I hear like my coworkers voices are when we like hang out together, um, which, uh, WWDC is usually, uh, I don't, I've never attended WWDC, but I, uh, we usually go down to just hang out, um, with friends. Um, which we are also doing this year and we're going to the layers conference, um, as mentioned. And so both my husband, Nevin and I are, um, are a part of that and super excited about it. Um, but it'll also be a chance for me to see my coworkers at Rogue Amoeba. So that's really cool. Um, just had a, anyway. I'm sorry. And we definitely will come back to talk more about the layers conference. Don't, sure. don't worry about that. <laughs> just out of curiosity, the idea of we don't, we don't talk to each other. You know, we don't, we don't have audio, you know, or I guess Skype or, or FaceTime or whatever chats with each other. Was that a conscious decision or was that something that just kind of happened? Um, it was a conscious um, decision on their parts. I mean, so they had already existed as a company for I don't know, five or six years when I joined um, five and a half years ago. So, um, you know, so it's not, it's not something like I was a part of that, that decision, but, um, I think it's just like what worked for them already. Um, they were used to working remotely. Um, 
I know Paul, the the CEO, is very gregarious um, and, and a, definitely a people person. Um, but Quentin, co-founder, is is definitely more. Um, you know, he just he's he's more private person, and he um, he doesn't really like to talk on the phone at all. And so that was sort of his thing. Like, I don't, you know, I just don't want this to to be a thing where I have to do a conference call every day with my team. Like, can we just, can we just keep it um, to text? And, and that works for them. And it's worked really well. Even when, even when we were on IRC and email, like it actually worked um, really well and we, we got things done. So Slack has improved efficiency there, I think, but, um, uh, yeah, but yeah, it's been we, fun. Katie and I are on the Slack channel for the relay network and it's, it's a great kind of, it's a little social place, but I can see how this would be so beneficial in the workplace. I mean, if you had a small team um, and I think um, it, 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 Slack has kind of got the reputation as being a thing for nerds or maybe programming houses. But honestly, if you've got any business where you want to have regular contact with a group of people that aren't in the same room, I would try it because they have really, I mean, just having spent some time with it, the, the iPhone app is great. The, the Mac app is great. Um, like you said, it's so easy to get a graphic and then you just drop it in, whether it's something goofy you want to share with friends or whether it's something work related. I, I don't know. I, it seems like there's been a lot of software kind of circling around this idea of a, a water cooler, like a short term water cooler for a small work team. But Slack is the first one for me that really felt like they really get it. And I can't really put my arm around it. Katie, what do you think of Slack? You've been using it now for a while. I, I like it. I, I think it's got a place. I You know, we don't really use it for, I guess we use it a little bit for productivity, but it also can just end up being a very, a very nice social outlet. I think you have to be careful, though. You know, it sounds like Krista uses it more specifically for work, although I'm sure it devolves into social stuff from time to time. But but I think you also have to be careful that it, it can be a, a time suck as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, it's it sort of, it's starting to replace um, iMessage for me, at least with my coworkers and with some friends too. Like we have, um, I have purely social Slack channels now um, through other people. Like we have like a PDX friends um, Slack channel. And, and so, yeah, you can't, it, it's, you have to be careful not to um, stay sort of, well, it's, they make it easy to switch between teams. So it's sort of like, I just tried to not spend too much time on those teams that are pure, purely social and, uh, and, and just definitely stay mostly, you know, during, during work hours, stay in Rogamipa's channel, but you know, um, I go back and forth and, um, and yeah, it is, it is becoming sort of like a, a group, um, just chat, uh, platform as well as, um, work related, um, discussion platform. So it's, it's really versatile and, and great. And it's what, one thing I really like about it, um, is how searchable it is. It can be really hard to find, um, you know, in, in long chains of emails or even via IRC to, to find that, um, part of the discussion where a decision was made about like, Oh yes, what did we, what did we all decide that we were going to do with like this, this one control or whatever. Um, so it can be really easy. They've, they've just, it just works super well. Um, so it can be easy to just jump back, um, to that, to that part of the discussion, or it can be really easy, like I said, to just find the exact file you're looking for. So and I would say that any good tool that makes it easy to communicate people, you can go down, you know, the rabbit hole with that. That's not really a, a dig against Slack as much as it's just, that's kind of the nature of the beast. But, but I, I have been really impressed with it. So I, I don't know. It's, I think it's something out there. If you're listening and you're looking for something in that ballpark, it's something you should definitely try out. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit um, about some of your 
non-tech related, well, I guess it is kind of tech related, but, you know, some of your non-design related projects, we should say, um, you know, including the Layers Conference, including some of your uh, musical interests. But before we do, David, this may be a good uh, time to take a quick break and, and talk a little bit about Smile again. Definitely. And I want to talk about, we're talking about PDF pin and Katie talked about PDF pin on the Mac, but a lot of people don't realize PDF pin is also fully supported on the iPad and the iPhone. You can edit your PDFs anywhere you are with PDF pin for iPad and iPhone. And it's one universal app. You get it. It works everywhere. Um, They've got uh, some really nice features in here that would make sense if you were going to be doing this on a mobile device. For instance, they've got the ability to synchronize your documents across iCloud or Dropbox or wherever you want. And this is great because I can be um, quite often I'll go into meetings with an iPad. I, I like the idea of in a meeting not having a wall between me and the other person. You know, if you bring a laptop that even if it's a small laptop, it creates that wall and they they wonder, hey, is he, you know, playing solitaire or is he actually working for me? So you bring in the PDF or the document into the meeting on an iPad so they can look at it with you. But I don't want to be doing all the edits on the iPad. I'll, I'll be doing a bunch of edits before the meeting on my Mac. Well, because PDF pin syncs back and forth, I just walk in there, open up PDF pin, and it's already done for me. So it's really great at synchronizing your documents. And it allows you to work on anything anywhere. And because they have built-in things like signature tools, you can even sign a contract on your phone while you're waiting in line for a taco. It's, it's that easy. Um, uh, PDF pin for iPad and iPhone also has the ability to, you know, allow you to write on the screen. You know, it doesn't, you know, it, you can make annotations and highlights and everything right there. Uh, it plays well with others. You can retrieve and save PDFs from services like iCloud, Evernote, Google Docs. Uh, you can even, um, in, uh, document exchange with colleagues and friends. Um, uh, I really like this application because, um, it solves the problem for me of having access to all these documents from anywhere in the world. It frees me, like like I was saying earlier, when I don't want to be walking around the house, I want to go to a coffee shop and work, I can bring my iPad and just pick up where I left off. And all those annotations come straight across. And I did a whole bunch of videos for them. If you go over to smilesoftware.com, you can see all the videos showing all the great stuff you can do with it. But you can fill in and sign forms. You can draw. You can highlight. You can scribble and correct. You can synchronize with other services. Um, and it even has, like I said, the palm rejection for Bluetooth pins. So they really did a great job with PDF pin for iPad and iPhone of bringing the best features to a mobile device for a PDF application. And because it's Smile... All of this stuff works seamlessly with PDF pin on the Mac. And, you know, they're probably the only company I'm aware of that's got, you know, winning software on both platforms. And that gives you a whole different advantage. So so go check out PDF pin for iPad and iPhone. Watch some of the videos. You can go check it out on the, the App Store and support these guys because they make great software. And they're always, like I said, making it better. Uh, so thank you, Smile, for supporting the show for all these years. And frankly, thank you for making this great software that makes it possible for me to get my work done. Uh, PDF pin for iPad and iPhone at smilesoftware.com. So, Krista, one of the things that uh, you shared with us um, is that you play the banjo. And so um, have is this something that you've done since childhood? Is this something that you picked up as as an adult? Or? No, yeah, I started playing. Um, gosh, when did I start playing? Maybe um, 2010 is when I is when I really picked up the five string ban- banjo and began to, to learn to play. 
Um, but I'd always been interested sort of in stringed instruments and, and I'd never, like I played the guitar a little bit, but my, my take on it was, um, I really enjoy the banjo and it's, um, an uncommon instrument. So if you're going to play with other people, um, chances are there will be someone who's good at the guitar and they will be much better than I will ever be at playing the guitar, but I can pick up the banjo and get pretty decent at it. And then, um, just have more options to play with other people. But I also just really love the way it sounds. Um, so I play claw, claw hammer style banjo, which is like a down picking style of, of banjo. Um, it's, it's also referred to as old time. So it's different from like your Earl Scruggs, like up picking style banjo. And that's as far as I will get into that. Cause otherwise I could just keep talking about playing banjo. Um, but yeah, it's, um, but, it's super fun. But what I loved about it is you, you play, you decided to play the banjo, but you went at it like a nerd. Mm-hmm, of course. Cause you actually have, you actually have a workflow for learning banjo songs. And, and when you were, you, you wrote us about it and I was reading, I'm like, Krista is my kind of nerd. I mean, cause, cause it's like, you want to learn how to play the banjo. So tell us what you did to figure it out. Okay. I, I just love this. Okay. So I love YouTube. Um, and, and people, um, there are just so you can learn anything on YouTube or watch anything on YouTube. And it's amazing. And people do these, um, these old time banjo tutorials, or there are just, um, like I'm going to play an old time song. Um, you know, you know, like you are my sunshine or something. And, and it's just a banjo performance or something like that. Um, but so what I, what I did was I watched a lot of these tutorials and, um, I took some lessons too on the side, but, um, but I spent a lot of time watching YouTube tutorials. And, um, what I did there was I grabbed the audio from YouTube using audio hijack, um, three, well now I use audio hijack three back then it was audio hijack pro and occasionally piezo, uh, which makes it super easy. So you, what you can do is just grab the audio, um, from any application on your Mac, including Safari. So just play YouTube and Safari, um, and grab that audio and record it, um, to an MP3 file. Um, save that I have a special, um, banjo directory in my, um, in Dropbox and it's, it's all organized by song and by tutorials, um, and, and sort of, um, you know, so that sort of thing. And then, so I take that MP3 file that is like the, the tutorial, um, and just they're, they're oftentimes really fast. It's like, they assume, you know, how to play the banjo already. And they're just like, and here's how you do it. And, and, you know, so they just start going. Um, so I need to slow that down. And so a great application for that, um, is called capo and that's by, uh, super mega ultra groovy. Um, Chris Lucio, um, it's his app and it is amazing. So you can pull, um, a song in and it will automatically, the, this version, um, version three now, I believe, um, will automatically detect the chords for you when you pull it in. Um, so if you didn't know the chords already, um, you can, you can figure them out at a glance. Um, you can also, uh, set what kind of instrument you're, you're playing. So I, I have that set to five string banjo, but, um, you know, the, the default is guitar. You can also set it to four string, five string or six string bass, uh, mandolin or ukulele. And so it makes it really, really easy to learn songs, um, from, from a recording. And I learned by ear. So, um, so I pull in my, my MP3 from YouTube, um, into, uh, into capo and then I can slow it down and without changing the pitch, which is very nice. So I slow it down to like half, half time. Um, and I just listen to it and you can loop sections over and over. And so I just listen to it slowly. And I, then I play along with the tutorial until I feel like I have it. Um, and then once I have it, um, you know, I'll, I'll play the song section by itself and, and play along with it, but record myself again, using audio hijack, um, and, and like the, um, microphone and, um, and recording from capo as a source in, in audio hijack and, and just make sure that I have the timing right. And then I have, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not messing it up too badly and, and sort of, then I'll, I can, I can listen back to it and sometimes it's painful and I can hear, you know, like where I need to make changes and improvements or sort of like where I'm missing a note or two. 
Um, so, but I also do that just, um, just with songs, not even tutorials, but just songs that people are playing. It's like, oh, I want to learn to play a cover of that. Like, um, I found the, the Game of Thrones, um, banjo theme, um, some, or someone playing oh, the Game of Thrones theme. Is, is, that and, a, is that online somewhere? Cause I have to hear it. Oh yeah. Um, so you can, uh, I can, I can send it to you actually. I grabbed, right. I grabbed it of course. Um, so I have, I have an MP3 of it. Um, but just, you know, someone playing like their cover of the Game of Thrones theme on banjo. So I'm like, I have to learn this. Um, so that's actually oh, what I, it's what I have all in. over YouTube. Data. <laughs> so many Game of Thrones related YouTube videos, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's one example where it's, it's not a tutorial, but I can still, because I play by ear, if I, um, bring the recording into capo, then I can slow it down, um, enough where I can, I can just play it enough times that I, that I figure it out. And then I play along with it again and then listen back to the recording of me playing along with it and make sure it sounds good. That sort of thing. But I also, um, I'm occasionally in a band um, with some friends of mine and we um, we do three part harmonies. And so if I am working out a harmony part that I want someone else to sing, I'll sing the melody um, and then I'll record myself singing along um, and then so they can hear it together. And then I just send send them um, I send them like, a you know, the file of me singing along with myself and then the file of just me singing just the part so they can work on on that part themselves and make changes if they want to. But um, now, now do you do that in capo too? Um, no. Um, that's more of an audio hijack thing. Um, it, it, I've used Capo a few times for it when we're doing specifically when we're doing covers of something. And so it's sort of like I'll sing along with the song and sing the melody, um, or else I'll, I'll sing along with the song, just sing the harmony and sort of skip myself singing the melody and just sing the harmony part along with the, with the melody of somebody else singing and then send them that and then send them just my recording of, of just me singing the, singing the low harmony or the high harmony or whatever. So, yeah. Well, so last, really last, <laughs> my daughter, my daughter's a singer. So last Christmas I wanted to, um, she wanted to sing Jingle Bells. So we were going to record it. And Diana, Diana crawl does this awesome rendition of Jingle Bells where she's playing the piano and accompanying herself. And she does this walking bass line in it. And I was going to play the piano with my daughter and, and I just wanted to get that walking bass. line, so I got capo and just slowed it down to just ridiculously slow. But I, I did it old school. I, I actually got a pencil out and annotated, you know, just wrote the notes down. But I hadn't looked at this new version as you're talking. I'm looking now, it puts the chords in and it does all this stuff for you. I'm, I think I'm going to have to buy the new version. Now. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's really beautifully designed. Um, they just did a great job. So, so that's how you've pulled the banjo together. And, and just in a few years, you're in a band and you're like playing banjo. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, What's your favorite song to play on the banjo? Oh gosh. Um, probably Shady Grove, um, which is an old time song. Um, but yeah, I don't, it depends. It depends on, on my mood. So my friend Amanda plays guitar and sings, and then my friend Kelly plays ukulele and sings, and then my other friend Tracy plays the violin. Um, so we all play together. And sometimes Tracy, the violinist, also sings melody, but usually it's um, Amanda and Kelly and I singing. Um, and so it's really fun, but I just feel like Shady Grove is one that we just do really well on the on the banjo, and our harmonies are really pretty. So yeah. it's fun. Uh, no. And do you want to share band? any information about your band? Yeah. Um, well, we're kind of on hiatus now. So um, Amanda and I both, oh, and, and Tracy too. I forgot about that. We're like mom band. Um, we're called Unicornicopia. And um, Tracy just had her baby five months ago. I had a baby um, last year in June. So he'll be a year in June. Um, and then Amanda's um, youngest son is, is like a little over a year. So it's sort of like we all had kids except for Kelly at the same time. Um 
So we sort of just like, we've been on hiatus and we play together sometimes now, but we'll get back into it when the kids are a little older. I've been joking about how we need to just put the kids into uh, ergo carriers on our back and, and play like that because it's a, it's a novelty thing. People will be into it. Um, yeah, I think that, that could work in Portland. Yeah, they, for sure. They, yeah. They'd be down with that. <laughs> mom bed um yeah but it's yeah it's really fun and i'm actually so tracy and i um are playing with some other people um for our friend's wedding this summer so that's that's like the only gig that's really on the horizon um at the moment but, yeah. i've played a few weddings in my time it's fun it is really it is fun, fun. Yeah. yeah now I, so I also see is pancake breakfast another one of your bands yeah well um pancake breakfast um broke up sadly uh mike midlow oh, no. um the the runner of the band moved out to um, Eastern Oregon and I mean, he's doing great. He, he still plays music all the time and, and is just doing his own thing. But yeah, pancake breakfast is, is no longer a thing. And unfortunately, but uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of really great people and um, just fun music. Most of it written by Mike, but um, yeah, it was great. Now, do you ever record? You, know, you said you're recording, I guess, into audio hijack. Mm-hmm. Um uh, do you do anything else like with logic or any of the other stuff where I, like bring in extra instruments and like put stuff behind you? Um, no, not really. I mean, um, so when we recorded an album with pancake breakfast and we, um, we did that at a studio here in Portland on like, um, a real to real recorder. And it was when it was awesome when we recorded all the instruments, but I don't really do that myself. Like it's really more like the recording that I do. Um, I'm not super serious about it and it's more for like practice work. And so, I mean, at least so far we haven't, I haven't done any, any sort of, real recordings. And I don't really, um, <clears throat> I don't really do this. Like when I first um, got garage band back in the day, I was really into like putting in drum loops and stuff like that and, and making little songs. Um, but never made anything that I, I thought was great. Um, so, but mostly we just play live and I use, um, I use audio hijack, um, and capo to, to, to sort of facilitate that. So sort of capo for learning songs and then audio hijack for making sort of work or practice, uh, recordings. And then I also just use the, the voice memos app on my phone. If we're, if we're doing a practice at somebody else's house and I just bring my phone, I don't bring my whole computer. And then I just do like a, it's not as, you know, um, as good as like using a, um, a microphone, even a USB microphone, but, um, but it totally works fine, especially just to practice along with and, and to sort of see how we're doing later, like listening back to it and see how the practice went. Um, that's helpful. I'm always amazed at how good a job the iPhone does at recording, like just with the built-in mic. I, I It's kind of from, we get a lot of like comments from listeners and they sound really good for, and you know, they're just recording it on the iPhone. Right. Um, the, um, we, one thing we didn't talk about, uh, just circling back to the design stuff a little bit, we didn't talk really at all about iOS. I mean, do you use iPhone and iPad at all in that workflow when you're doing the design, design work? Um, well, I, um, I often look at things on, on the phone. If I'm designing for iOS, um, I make sure to, um, as I'm going through, I, um, I either mirror them with a, an app called Xscope or I, um, I just sort of save the ping. I mean, it's the right size. So I'll just save a mock and then just look at it on either the iPhone or the iPad, depending on what I'm designing for. But at Rogamiba, unfortunately, um, we just don't do a lot of iOS design and I haven't done iOS design. I haven't worked on any of our iOS apps for quite a while. And so they're, they're both due for a big, um, big overhaul. Um, and I think they're going to combine into one. Um, I guess I can't really talk about that too much, but anyway, um, I haven't done iOS design, um, really at all for, um, since the great flattening of iOS seven. And I'm actually really, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I actually designed, so when I, I spoke at CocoConf, um, Yosemite a few weeks back and I actually designed a whole iOS app, um, just for that. I mean, you know, like did like six screens for, um, a pretend iOS app with the, um, 
the talk that I did was about, um, you know, making your, your flat design interesting on iOS. Cause I thought that, um, was a topic that needed to be just, um, just ad- addressed, but also because I hadn't designed anything for, for iOS recently. And I was like, oh, I just really want to make something. So, um, so I did that and that was really fun. Um, but I haven't designed anything for real for iOS, um, for quite, for quite a while. So looking yeah, forward to that. that must be kind of a challenge for you when you think about it, because before you had, you know, when there was a lot of textures on iOS, it gave you as a designer, this kind of rich canvas to work yes. with. <laughs> and now, now everything is, is really flat. I mean, it's like single color, very few gradients. And it's like, so how do you make something stand out in that language where you don't have as many tools to work with? Mm-hmm. That was my whole, that was the, um, the crux of my talk was how do you, how do you not have, um, an app that's just white with like blue um, as a selection color down in your tab bar. Like how do you, how do you move beyond that? Um, how do you use color? So I talked a lot about um, how you can use color and your, and your sort of like one strong color, or maybe your, your very simple color palette to, um, to stand out um, amongst other I, um, I, iOS apps and to sort of make your, your app come alive. Um, and I talked about typography. You can use other things besides Helvetica. Um, iOS has a lot of, great built-in fonts include that are included. Um, iOSfonts.com actually um, will tell you, gives you an updated list of every font that's included in like um, every version of iOS. It's really great. And you can do, um, you know, the standard thing of like putting your text in and, and getting a preview of it in, in these different fonts. And so that's really helpful. I also talked about, um, you know, because it was, it was addressed um, to people who were sort of all in one iOS developers. And so probably didn't have a design background, so I also gave um, some good just background information on, on typography or at least resources for them to go and, and learn more about typography and how to use that to make their iOS apps more interesting. Um, like resources like uh, Robert Bringhurst, The Elements of Typographic Style, which is a book that is just like the the book about typography that everyone should read. And there's like Typedia, which is um, a website that's sort of like a Wikipedia for typography. And then um, one website I really love is fontsinuse.com. Um, which just shows you literally fonts in use. And it's like this really nice curated list um, that shows you just various font combinations and, and sort of how designers have used them in ways that are good. Um, so what else did I talk about? Oh, I talked about um, making your glyph families um, look really cohesive and like we belong to the same design universe. Um, and then I talked about the um, designing your, your iOS app icon and how to make that stand out both as, as a marketing tool. Um, so you stand out in the, in the app store but also so that your your it really ties in with your app and your app is very memorable and you can your user can find it in this you know very colorful sea of little app icons on their on their home screen or um, when they're switching between apps. Um, it's just important that your your interface stand out amongst all the other ones because what happens um, in a lot of in a lot of iOS apps it's like they all look the same because they're all white and they all have a lot of white space and they're all using black Helvetica Noia text and with one you know like royal blue highlight color. Yeah, just like listening to you. So you've got glyphs, typography, color, and all these elements that go together. I, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it, but there's a lot of pieces to this. Yeah, yeah, there is. And, and, um, but yeah, taking away, you know, the sort of stripping away of all of these extra elements like texture and things like that. Um, yeah, it's been a challenge for designer because I was, you know, I had gone down this path of like, oh, how do I do like the most realistic, plastic texture or like the most realistic nice wood texture I can make or you know those sorts of things like how do I make my linen look more liney um and just to, to suddenly be like okay all of that's gone and now you just have to focus on um 
you know, the proper balance of space and um, how beautiful your type looks and, and what colors you're going to use. And you have to use a very limited palette um, to make your to make your app memorable. And, and so so that sort of thing, it's sort of a, a big shift um, in design, but it's, it's another good challenge. I think whenever there are constraints, um, that's when you can get really creative and, um, and new interesting things emerge. So. And, and the interesting thing to me is that now that we have retina screens on all devices, um, that in the future, and this feels to me almost like a fashion industry thing where there'll be trends. Um, I mean, I can, I can see it swinging back to texture at some point in the future. And, and, and with these screens now, anything is possible. I mean, whatever the fashion dictates, uh, you as designers are going to be theoretically able to provide. So you're going to have to be so nimble to be able to keep up with this stuff. It's just, and like a great design in 2015 may be a bad design in 2018. Just like I was talking at the beginning of the show with, um, with a tweet bot, you know, on the iPad. It's like, so I, it, I, I think you've got plenty of work ahead of you. <laughs> I do definitely. <laughs> well, one of the things that is immediately ahead of you and coming up pretty quickly, uh, and I promised you we'd circle back around to it. And I know we're, we're getting short on time here and I wanted to make sure we came back around is the layers conference. And, um, are you going to be, t- what can you tell us about that? I mean, without giving too much away, but I know we're, we're coming up on WWDC, um, at, when the show is published, it'll be about a week from now. Um, but tell us a little bit uh, about that conference and if you can share what you're going to be talking about and how that came about. Oh, sure. Um, so it's a 3D conference that is taking place during WWDC. Um, and it's about design and celebrating the design industry. And it's sort of like, um, like we were talking about before the show, a lot of other um, sort of satellite events are springing up around WWDC because it's such a draw for um, for all of these Mac enthusiasts. And and like I said, I um, we usually go down every year and just hang out with friends, whether or not um, either of us is attending WWDC. And I never have, and Nevin has a few times, um, but I've never actually attended the conference. But I've been, you know, the last few years, uh, with the exception of last year, because um, I had a new little baby. Um, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's going to be super fun. Like the lineup is incredible. Um, so many great designers and I'm just like super honored to be a part of it. I was going to do a talk about, um, animation, um, animation principles for user interface design, but instead I actually have a dream job. I get to moderate, um, a panel of you look nice today. So basically just a, a discussion <laughs> between those guys wow. and I get, I know I get to be on stage with them and, and, um, help moderate their talk. Um, but, but that's going to be a hard job too. Well, I was just thinking I'm that excited. is not an easy job. <laughs> yeah. I'm super stoked. Yeah. I mean, um, you're going to need like a bullhorn or right. something. <laughs> yeah. They just go. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, it'll be informal and, and, and I'm actually kind of relieved because I'm very busy at the moment, um, at Rogamiba and, uh, so it's sort of like, oh, cool! I don't, I don't actually have to re- um, prepare this this animation talk, which is I'm also a little bummed because I was excited to do it, but then like, oh, okay, good, um, one less thing to worry about. And I'm really, really excited to um, to talk with Adam and Scott and Merlin on stage. That'll be so fun. So that's that's what I'm doing, um, and I just can't wait to um, to hear as many of the. So Nevin and I, um, we have two kids, and we'll both be there. Nevin will be doing his talk. Um, but so we'll be juggling our, our children. So I won't be able to hear his talk and he won't be able to, uh, to hear the, you look nice today thing. Um, because we'll each be caring for the, the little ones when the other is doing that. But I hope to get, um, to hear, you know, talks from Susan Kerr and Serenity Caldwell, Chris Clarko, Eric Devins. I mean, there's just so many, so many people, John Gruber's there, Maya Henderson from Square. I mean, it's just, it's going to be awesome. I'm really, really looking forward to it. 
I, I like though that you're bringing your kids with you. I mean, some of the best advice I got when my kids were little was um, a friend said, look, don't leave the kids home. You know, when you go out to dinner, bring them with you. When you go on trips, take them. And I really feel like as my kids have got older, I think one of the reasons we have such good relationships is because we've done all these things together. And uh, I think you're making the right choice there. So it's, it's okay if you have to miss a few. Yeah. Oh, for sure. we'll, so we'll have so much yeah. fun. I know. Yeah. We'll have in San Francisco is so fun. And um, there's that great playground in Dolores park. I can't wait to take all of it back to It's so cool. There's, I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff for, for us to do too. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I know you are also involved with uh, one of my favorite things, and that's App Camp for Girls. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's coming up again this summer, and I'm looking forward to being involved with that. Um, yeah, we're again. actually going to so, talk to Jean. I think she's on the show after this. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, she's so great. And I'm just really I'm just super excited to be involved um, with, with App Camp for Girls at all. She's she's wonderful. Everyone um volunteers is amazing and I, I just feel like I've learned so much just um working with the other volunteers just learning so much from these other women in tech and because it can be hard to get a bunch of us together in a room you know um and so it's just really it's really a great thing and I, I really enjoy it I teach um like I do two little workshops one about just interface design um in general and then I do a workshop about um app icon design um so it relates to them and, and I have to, I have to work on making it more interactive. Um, but they, but it doesn't, you know, like it doesn't seem to phase them that I'm just like giving them this, this, um, this talk basically and, and asking them questions now and then. And I built, I built a giant iPhone last, last year, um, from a magnetic dry erase board. Um, so basically I just, I mounted this magnetic dry erase board to a big, um, wooden frame. And then I made a foam, um, like border for it and, and made it look like an iPhone. And then I made, um, a big PDF of, um, of like iPhone controls and I printed them out. Um, and then I, I glued them to, um, to like magnetic backing basically and cut them out. And so there's like, you know, switches and stuff that they can like magnet onto the board and then they can draw in the rest of their UI. Um, so we played like, you know, fill in the rest of the UI on the phone and like, what do you think should go here? And we design an app together, um, as a group and like sort of, um, did our wireframes on the, on the giant iPhone. It was really fun. Um, so I, I almost like that see that as like a product. I almost think you could sell. Well, that. it's a thing that well, I just saw that they're, um, what are, they're, they're selling giant magnets now that are like for, um, for whiteboards that are like the shape of, of an iPhone now. And I was like, Oh man, that's, that's close to my, close to my idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the form factor just changes too often. I don't know. I don't know if it'd be good, but yeah, um, it's, it's certainly fun to play with. That's for sure. And, uh, yeah. So hopefully, uh, um, I need to, I need to refine my process though, because it's literally just a, um, dry erase board, like screw, screwed in with wood screws, like onto this like wood frame. And then like, a one of those science display, like trifold form foam boards that I like cut out the middle of. Um, so it's not, it's not ideal. Um, it's, it's not, it's not going to last for, for too many more app camps and I have to refine that process for them and, and write out how it should be. But, um, but it's super, super fun tool. And just, well, just working with, um, with these teenage girls who are like actually into interface design and stuff. It's so fun. And a lot of them are very artistic and, um, and so they're, they're excited about the design aspect of it. And they're just really excited to get into Xcode. And, um, it's just, it's awesome. Like, I don't remember in high school and in middle school being like, excited about things, I guess. And, um, I just wish this had existed then that I would have been all over it. And, um, and yeah, it's just a really fun and cool thing to be involved with and, and sort of help 
see these girls like get excited about um, about building apps and designing apps is great. And you know, and just to tease next week's show a little bit, Jean has done so much amazing work to make this happen. We're going to be talking to her about all the behind the scenes stuff she had to do to make this a success, and it's it is significant. Yeah, but the, um, incredibly. But it is really great. And, you know, that app is out now and it's doing really well in the app store. And I recommend everybody get it. We we were doing our um, Hogwarts sorting. Oh, nice. Night. Yeah. What, what house uh, did you get? Through the app. I, I, I thought I was great. I got Gryffindor. And then my, my wife, she my wife got into Slytherin. Oh, and she boy. was actually, she was okay with that, <laughs> okay. which scared me a little bit. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. I have to be honest. I kind of gamed it. So I'd get Ravenclaw. I just, I want to be in Ravenclaw. So. <laughs> um but yeah it's a it's a very cool it's our quiz companion app, app um for for listeners um so definitely definitely grab that um it's just 99 cents in the app store and um it's what the the campers at app camp for girls um work on and make um, at the end of the week it's it's their it's their product and now it's um, been compiled um into one single app that you can you can get and it supports um app camp for girls which is a nonprofit and supports it directly so very cool thing awesome yeah. Well, we'll have we'll have links to all of those things in the show notes for sure. Um, and really, every, we've covered. I feel like we've covered so much ground in in this episode. <laughs> uh, so definitely check out the show notes. Uh, Krista, tell people where they can can find you. If they can follow you on Twitter, where where can they learn a little bit more about you? If they're interested in getting into UI design, any any resources for them? Where can they go for more information? Okay. Um, well, they can um, find me on Twitter at, at @antichrista. Um, they can look up um, all of our great software products at rogamoeba.com. Um, as far as more information for UI design, it's sort of like there's there's stuff all over the place and like lots of blogs and stuff. Maybe I can follow up with maybe a list of, of things like that, um, and like typography websites and stuff like that, because I certainly could suggest a few, but off the top of my head, I'm not. Thinking right. so any anything you want to send me we'll we'll throw in the show notes. All right, which, awesome. uh, yeah, people can find at our website, which is at relay.fm slash MPU slash two fifty nine for this particular episode, or of course you can find the show notes on your podcast application of choice. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Max Working. You can uh, send us feedback to feedback at Mac Power Users. Uh, Krista, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Oh, at AntiKrista. Okay, great. Put that in there as well. And we will see you all next week.